This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Wednesday, February 1st of 2023. I'm your host, Hannah Stewart. Coming up on today's program, we'll get an update on Broomfield's new solar co-op. Then, we'll have our latest Follow the Waste story. This time, looking at one way to reduce takeout trash. Chris Moore will share his weekly commentary, Make Them Hear You. And then herbalist Brigitte Mars will bring us her regular Wednesday feature, Naturally. A commentary from Jim Hightower is at the bottom of the hour. Then, during A Public Affair, we'll kick off Black History Month special coverage from History Colorado's Lost Highways podcast series. Today, we'll hear about the Deerfield Settlement, founded by African Americans a generation after slavery. At 9.30, Uncle Jeff will be in the Boulder studio for the morning sound alternative. That's all still ahead, but first, a look at the headlines with KGNU's Alyssa Palazzo. Suncor says it detected what the company calls a small leak at its Commerce City refinery Tuesday evening. The company said the leak had been contaminated and reported to regulatory agencies. The Commerce City facility, the state's only refinery, has been operating in shutdown mode since late last month after a fire injured two workers. The city of Thornton is taking legal action against firefighting foam manufacturers due to its alleged toxic contamination in its water. The lawsuit is against manufacturers who produced firefighting foam due to the product's contents containing PFAs that infiltrated Thornton's water supply. The city found several dozen parts per trillion of those PFAs in its water and is looking at designing a filtration system to get rid of them. These chemicals allegedly have toxic side effects, including reproductive issues, cancer, and child development issues. Through the lawsuit, Thornton hopes to regain the money it will cost to rid the chemicals from their waters. The city of Thornton released a drinking water health advisory, but noted, quote, There is not an immediate public health risk, and people do not need to stop drinking their water at this time. The city will continue to sample the water for PFAs, inform residents, and examine steps for exposure reduction. A new bill introduced in Colorado State's legislature would allow local governments to enact rent stabilization measures. KGNU's Juanita Hurtado has more. Glenwood Springs Democrat Elizabeth Velasco is one of the prime sponsors of the rent stabilization bill. Rent control has been banned in Colorado since 1981, and Democratic Governor Jared Polis has vetoed rent control bills in the past. But Velasco says the bill has support from lawmakers across Colorado, from both urban and rural communities. She says housing is a key priority for the Democratic Caucus, and the bill has a lot of support already. And I think that, you know, our bill pairs really well with some of the other solutions that are coming, like zoning and renter protection, you know, all the different tools. And we definitely feel strong and, you know, we're still gathering support. Velasco says she's seen firsthand how hard it is to find and keep housing in the Roaring Fork Valley. And that experience contributed to the bill. For KGNU, I'm Juanita Hurtado. The Arapahoe and Roosevelt National Forests and Pawnee and the Colorado Division of Fire Prevention and Control have agreed to work together to tackle the wildfire crisis along Colorado's northern front range. This agreement is the first between the two agencies and involves a multi-million dollar investment in shared resources. 
The effort aims to implement a preventative, cross-boundary approach to wildfire mitigation, focusing on reducing hazardous fuels in and around the wildland urban interface on public and private lands. The agreement involves forming a joint wildland fire and fuels module, which will operate in the front-range priority landscape out of the division's offices in Windsor. Hiring for this new module is currently underway. The CU Independent and the Bold released reports this week of the University of Colorado knowingly admitting a white nationalist student. Patrick Durnham, who in interviews admitted to being a member of the Patriot Front, said the university was also aware. According to the CU Independent, Durnham had a history of violent language towards minorities and vandalized property. Durham confirmed his violent social media posts, but did not comment on if he still held the same beliefs. CU Boulder officials were notified of Durham's connection to the group before his admission, but could not consider his disciplinary records during the admission process. Durham was suspended from high school and barred from graduation in May 2022 after information about his affiliations were made public. University spokesperson Andrew Sorensen told the CU Independent, quote, Durham is no longer enrolled at the university. It remains unclear if he left voluntarily or due to expulsion. Boulder is beginning the second phase of redevelopment in the Boulder Junction area, one of the city's priority projects. Over the next few years, officials will form community-led focus groups to guide the development which they originally created in 2007 and included 1,500 residential units. The project's second phase aims to upgrade Old Pearl Street, conduct a feasibility study for extending Bluff Street, and add pedestrian, bicycle, and multi-use paths. The city will reconfirm land use designations and urban designs before moving to implement the strategies outlined in the plan. Community members are encouraged to participate by filling out an interest form. The Regional Transportation District, or RTD, held its first two open house meetings for the Northwest Rail Peak Service Study in Boulder. The study examines the feasibility of offering peak service for the proposed commuter rail between Denver, Boulder, and Longmont. RTD says the project would cost around $1.5 billion and take about 30 years to complete. The El Paso County DA's office dropped criminal charges against a man beaten by police during a traffic stop. Dalvin Gadsden, a 29-year-old black man, was beaten by three white officers at the Colorado Springs Police Department during a traffic stop. The incident resulted in Gadsden suffering from physical injuries, such as a black eye, back injuries, chest wall contusions, and a closed head injury. The police department released body camera footage that showed the officers punching and kicking Gadsden for about a minute and a half. Gadsden's initial charges included various offenses, but he only paid a $15 fine for improperly displaying his license plates. The incident led to a civil lawsuit filed in Denver in federal court, which claims the officers used excessive force without any verbal warning. The administrative review by the police department found the officers' actions to be within policy, while an internal affairs investigation was ongoing at the time. For this Wednesday's weather, expect sunny skies in Denver and Boulder, with a high of 41 degrees cooling down to 17 degrees this evening. Fort Collins can expect the same with a high of 37 degrees and a low of 12. For KGNU, I'm Alyssa Palazzo. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Hannah Stewart. About 150 Broomfield residents have joined together as part of Broomfield's first solar co-op. 
The members of this co-op will vote next week to choose a collective-wide installer. KGNU's Alexis Kenyon spoke with Tanner Simeon Cox, the Colorado Program Director for Solar United Neighbors, who is running the Broomfield Co-op, to learn more about what a solar co-op is and what it means for Broomfield residents. So Tanner, to start, walk me through what a solar co-op is and what role it will play in Broomfield. For sure. Our co-ops are designed to bring a group of folks in a particular community together and then approach area installers with all 100, 200 people to request like a a group buy discount on rooftop solar. Um, So our co-ops offer a way for folks to go solar as a group if they're interested in doing so um, in a way that simplifies the process. So you're not sitting at home trying to sift through mountains of bids and create a a spreadsheet to compare it all. Um, But we're able to come in and join you in that process and help facilitate that for you. So who's to say that one company is the best choice for lots of different families and lots of different homes? Yeah, that great question. And that's why we maintain our neutrality. We don't want to be elevating any companies over over any others. We really want our folks that are on the ground to decide. And as I said, there's no obligation to go solar through the co-op when you join the co-op. So let's say a member joins, they say, I don't know if this makes sense for me. They go out and receive a couple of other bids from different installers. One service that we offer is having like a 15, 30 minute, however long it takes call to review the different bids that that co-op member received. And we go through that process with them in sort of a separate aside to be able to be sure that, you know, they they also feel empowered to make the decision, even if they don't go solar through our co-op. So we never require people to go solar through us. We just want to to help folks the best we can. Is Broomfield offering any financial incentives for joining the solar co-op? Because, you know, solar has gone down in price, but it's still expensive. Yeah. So um, at this point in time, Broomfield is not offering any incentives. Um, do you know, does Boulder have a solar co-op option? So one is in the works right now. There is one scheduled for this year. There isn't a concrete launch date planned yet, but we will launch one there this year. So Solar United is one of just a few other nonprofits doing this kind of collective solar bargaining in communities. I'm curious if you see changes in communities' readiness to transition away from fossil fuels and if this readiness has a ripple effect. What's the response been in Broomfield? Yeah, so I I think a prime example of it is as a starting point, whenever we enter a brand new area that we've never run this model, like Broomfield, we see a lot of interest, like very significant interest. It was incredibly successful that we had over 100 folks come out to our launch event this past December. And then after that, after we've established sort of what the co-op is and how it works, a lot of word of mouth travel happens, which is how you get to to launch co-ops in other areas. You have folks that are talking to their friends and family, 
from Broomfield to Boulder, for example, and they're like, okay, how do we make this happen? And then they talk to their local governments and they reach out to us. And then we build that partnership and we see it grow um, really organically just after, after we come in and, and there's success that's been demonstrated through this model. We see a lot of, a lot of interest come out of that. How common are, are solar co-ops, you know, across the U.S. and also just in, in Colorado? Uh, so, yeah, we have programs in D.C. is our first program, Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Florida, Texas, Arizona, Minnesota. Um, I may be missing a few that are just slipping my mind right now. Um, but in, in Colorado, we run co-ops in Denver and Fort Collins, now in Broomfield and Colorado Springs, Steamboat Springs, Craig Meeker, that area, Mesa County, San Miguel County. So we've kind of done co-ops all across the state. Yeah, it's far and wide. There isn't really uh, anywhere that we're not willing to have the conversation to see if it would make sense. And we're always willing to offer consultations to folks in, in states that don't have like on the ground staff. Tanner Simeon Cox is the Colorado Program Director for Solar United Neighbors. Tanner, thank you so much for talking with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me out. For KGNU, I'm Alexis Kenyon. story spotlights a relatively new sustainable takeout delivery option in Boulder, available at some local restaurants. Its goal is to craft an alternative to takeout trash through durable, reusable, returnable takeout containers. For KGNU's Follow the Waste series, see Boulder student Wyatt Brown reports. One of the most wasteful aspects of food service comes in the form of takeout packaging and the mountains of plastic waste only increased with the pandemic. But one initiative aims to make takeout a little easier on local landfills. Deliver Zero is a network of returnable and reusable containers giving customers the choice to receive takeout without producing the waste associated with it. It currently operates in New York, Denver, Boulder, and Chicago, but aims to expand to other major cities. Emily Freeman is a policy advisor with the City of Boulder's Circular Economy Program. She says that the heavy-duty, washable, food-grade plastic design is a more eco-friendly solution than single-use, or even compostable containers. These containers are rated to be used at least 1,000 times, if not more. So if you think about that impact versus a single-use and every time you're going out, you're throwing away or attempting to recycle or compost those containers, it's it seems like a no-brainer to us. Freeman says that the general public still has a ways to go when it comes to learning how to properly compost. This lack of knowledge can actually cause compost contamination in practice. But getting more restaurants and customers involved has proven to be tricky. So it's kind of like a chicken and egg, in a sense. If you don't have enough restaurants or restaurants that people frequent enough, then you're not going to get the public involved as well. And if the public isn't aware that the program exists, 
they also can't go to their favorite restaurants and help encourage the expansion of Deliver Zero. The price point is also an issue for restaurants. Ashwin Ramdas, Chief Technology Officer of Deliver Zero, says that their reusable containers are cheaper than single-use plastics or compostables in the long run, but getting them into rotation requires scaling a learning curve at the start. Restaurants are just, in general, hard to sell to because they're the most overworked industry and then they have the least margins, so they're really conscious about doing anything different. Once they realize what we're doing and how our system works and it can save them money, then they are pretty open to it. One restauranter who has accepted the challenge is Wade Jester of Boulder's Zeal Foods. You know, our cost for per unit for Deliver Zero should end up being less than um, our unit cost for even compostable packaging. The, the whole business of shifting to so much takeaway during the pandemic you know, we were throwing, we were adding a lot of stuff to um, that was going into either landfills or, you know, at best composting bins, a lot more than we did pre-pandemic. So we do so much in the restaurant, try to think of sustainability and, you know, how to, not to create more waste. The city of Boulder has set a zero waste goal of recycling, composting and reusing 85% of its waste by 2025. And to have reusable takeout containers available in 50% of Boulder restaurants by 2025 as well. Deliver Zero has been working out friction points along the way. They now partner with third-party food delivery services that will allow customers to return containers at their doorsteps rather than having to hand them in at the restaurant. Friedman says that implementing the returnable reusable container service has been easiest with small, locally-owned restaurants. National chains are a little bit harder to, to break into, but I think focusing on those local chains and seeing that available would just make the city make myself, and make Deliver Zero happy. In the longer term, Deliver Zero's Ashwin Ramdas says that the company hopes to expand to all major delivery and ordering platforms, as well as work with some of the bigger national chains currently generating tons of single-use plastic waste. I'd say that if you care about single-use waste and you care about fighting it, get your takeout with Deliver Zero. You can get your food in reusable containers uh, so that you can continue getting your takeout without any of the guilt that comes with it. For now, much of the logistics of getting the reusable takeout containers into restaurants comes from customers leveraging their buying power and letting restaurant owners know they'd be on board with it. But as with recycling, putting the responsibility on the consumer isn't always the most effective option. Some would argue, however, that it is, at least, a promising start. For KGNU's The Brink Series, I'm Wyatt Brown. Up next is Make Them Hear You with Chris Moore. Make them hear you. Make them hear you and tell them This is Make Them Hear You with ideas on how you can have your voice heard before Congress. On U.S. Currency, it reads, This note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. But until recently, there were no laws that said a business must accept cash. Some cities and states do require it, and in our home state, Colorado House Bill 1048 is attempting to do just that. New York City, Philadelphia, and San Francisco, as well as New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island have done the same. In 2021, the U.S. House introduced H.R. 4395, Payment Choice Act of 2021, to establish a federal law prohibiting businesses from refusing cash. Cash is the payment vehicle of choice for the 5.9 million Americans without bank accounts. 
Cash is also popular among older people, certain people with mental and physical handicaps, the homeless, and other groups of people, as well as individuals from all walks of life. For some, it's a way of controlling expenditures, especially if they had a habit of racking up dangerous amounts of credit card debt. New technology and staffing trends have turned some businesses away from paper money altogether. The share of cashless businesses more than doubled between February 2020 and February 2021, sped along by the pandemic. Stores used to save money by accepting cash and avoiding the 2.22% bank charges. But now, cashless businesses often make more money. It simplifies bookkeeping and reduces the risk of loss and theft. And people tend to buy more and tip more when they use their plastic than with cash. But there is consumer backlash to this trend. Many restaurants are reversing their decision to go fully cashless because the consumers insist, quote, everyone in the community needs to have access to real food, close quote. We're unlikely to see self-checkout and robots and credit cards taking over our shopping experiences entirely. People value being served by another person. I have walked away from restaurants that don't accept cash, and I am not alone. So it's an open question as to whether the government should step in to require businesses like restaurants and stores to accept cash. Some argue that it's government interference in the free market, and that as long as some people want to use cash, some businesses will find a way to accept it. Others argue that banning cash creates even greater income inequality, pushing the 5.9 million unbanked people, the homeless, the elderly, the handicapped, and the people with credit issues like shopaholism to the outer margins of society. They argue that just like discriminating against people based on race is illegal, discriminating against people based on whether they own credit cards should be banned. If you have thoughts on the Colorado House Bill 1048 or the Federal House Bill H.R. 4395, Payment Choice After 2021, you can contact your representative. This is Chris Moore with Make Them Hear You. Time now for Naturally with herbalist Brigitte Mars. Greetings, welcome to Naturally. It's Brigitte Mars with a few ideas on staying warm when the weather's cold. So we have a few more weeks of this. We know that winter is the season that corresponds to the kidneys and bladder, when those organ systems are particularly vulnerable. So there are some things we can do. We can go to bed earlier and arise later, which will put us more in tune with the nature's rhythms. Be sure to stretch tight muscles before you jump out of bed and pull all your weight on your feet. During the winter, it makes more sense to eat more concentrated foods. Things that are dark orange in color are high in beta carotene, and they are particularly warming. I think of things like sweet potatoes, winter squash, carrots, rutabagas. It's also time to eat more roots, like onions and garlic. Other warming foods include arugula, mustard greens, and of course nuts and seeds, which have a higher fat, fat content, as well as nut butters. I'm not so keen on peanut butter because it contains a mole called aflatoxin, and it's not great for skin that breaks out, but hazelnuts, walnuts are some of my favorites. And good quality fats are also important when the heat is on and our skin is really susceptible to dryness, things like olive oil, avocados, and again, nuts and seeds. You could put pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds on your list there. Avoid drinking icy cold drinks or eating things right from the refrigerator. Allow things to get more room temperature. The flavor of winter is also associated with the salty 
flavor. So this is certainly a good time to look at the quality of salt that you're eating rather than using salt that's been heated to 1400 degrees and bleached. Think about switching to Celtic salt or salt that is more uh, grayish in color, brownish in color, pink, because white salt is devoid of minerals. There's a lot of culinary herbs that can help warm us up. Cayenne, cinnamon, garlic, ginger, horseradish. And certainly we want to dress more warmly, uh, even wearing warming colors such as red and copper can help us to feel warmer. Protect your kidneys by wearing undershirts tucked into long johns. And when there is a little bit of sunshine, you might want to expose your kidneys and bladder to the sunshine. And of course, this is a time where soups are going to make more sense. Herbal teas, if you love chai, it's because it has those warming herbs in it. Cinnamon, cardamom, ginger, black pepper. So enjoy chai, and you can also find it without the caffeine as well as the milk and the sugar. Make your own chai. Visit Rebecca's Apothecary and pick up some herbs and simmer them up and warm your body, mind, and spirit. Thanks for joining me, Brigitte Mars, on Naturally. That's a wrap for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Hannah Stewart. Stay tuned for a Black history lesson on the Deerfield Settlement from History, Colorado. That's coming up after the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. But first, a look at the headlines from the BBC. BBC.